Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfsted, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfsted, here with Keith Myers. Keith, tell me about your day and uh, tell me what we're doing today. Why are we here? Um, we're here to talk Seahawks football, Bill, like we always do. Uh, actually, in, in this week's show, we're going to be um, we're actually going to be looking at the division uh, rivals. We're going to go through and kind of see what Arizona, St. Louis, and San Francisco have done this offseason, how their rosters look at the time uh, being, and uh, you know, kind of compare what they've done versus where Seattle is, so we can get an idea of. Uh, you know, did the Seahawks improve relative to their competition, uh, the teams that they're fighting for playoff uh, spots with? And so, um, yeah, it's going to be um, a little different this week because it's not just Seahawks stuff. But you also you also ask about my day, and I would say my day has my day has been nothing but um, crazy Zoom meetings and homeschooling my kids and their Zoom meetings, and it's been weird. Let's just go with that. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've had an uneventful day so far, so I've just been preparing for the show, and uh, here we are. You mentioned um, proportionally better or, or worse uh, compared to relative to our other uh, NFC West rivals, and I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, you know, on paper, you can say, yeah, Seattle improved in this area or that area or so forth, but how did we stack up to what the other – guys in our division are doing to kind of put us, you know, put us down a notch or two. Um, first things first, a uh, couple things. Uh, Seattle cut Naz Jones yesterday, defensive tackle that just never panned out. Like that first game, that uh, that game in, I think it was uh, Green Bay, Keith, where he had the return for a touchdown mm-hmm. and like the first series or second series of the game or whatever. And that was Naz Jones pinnacle as a football player <laughs> and then you know he had a couple sacks he was he had a couple sacks three or four sacks early on in the first six games or whatever we were like wow this kid's gonna be some serious upside um and then just nothing after that and then he changed positions a couple times he battled through a couple injuries didn't seem like significant things that would set you back permanently but it just ended up not being able to insert himself into a rotation and finds himself now uh, cut by the Seahawks. Um, just what are your thoughts? Well, it's just, it's disappointing in that he obviously had a ton of potential. Um, and we saw that. We saw it as, in his rookie year. But then uh, Pete Carroll said it was, he called it, he, he, he basically said he was, too inconsistent in practice to trust on the field, which we never really got a full explanation of what that meant, but he was a healthy scratch for most of his um, sophomore year. And then last year he spent it on IR despite it not being a major injury. Um, And now he's gone. And it's just one of those things where is a guy that you looked at and you go, we've seen him contribute. We know he can contribute but we never got him back into a spot where he was, was contributing and it's just kind of disappointing and it's more disappointing 
for him than it is for any of us. Uh, because I think he would have really, um, I think for him, he, he would have really enjoyed having a role, uh, but he just never could reach out and grab one. See you now. It was, it's fun while it lasted, but uh, you know, the writing was on the wall. You mm-hmm. were, it was just, wasn't going to happen this year. Okay. So a couple other uh, news notes, minor news notes. Uh, Marshawn Lynch was in the news briefly indicating that uh, he said that his, um, his guy, his representative um, had been in contact with the Seahawks about possibly returning to play in 2020 and figuring out where, uh, what number would get him into, into the fold. Um, and the team kind of reciprocated that saying, yeah, we'd totally love to have Marshawn back. Let's see if it works. So there's that, uh, but no news, you know, immediately. And then, uh, Clowney was, uh, made some news, uh, purposefully by working out in front of a reporter in Houston to show that he was, uh, fully able to, you know, work out and, uh, wanted to show that to teams to see if he could generate any interest. And that prompted, you know, a little bit of conversation regarding contract, where he's at, where Seattle's at, all that stuff. It hasn't really moved the needle at all. Uh, Seattle kind of put their best offer forward, according to Schneider, a while back, and has since left that there and probably walked that back a little bit and kind of moved on. And Clowney is still sitting there trying to be patient in a what has to be a really tough situation for him. He kind of overestimated the market, I think. And now he's kind of waiting for somebody to knock on the door. Yeah. I mean, so we have conflicting reports. I mean, the reports today is that the Seahawks are, you know, walking back their uh, deal slightly and not. um, So even what was out there before isn't out there now, but at the same time we have uh, John Clayton, um, reporting last week that the Seahawks did up their offer slightly um, to see if they could get a deal done, and it wasn't enough to get a deal done. So that now they're they're sitting. So does that mean they went back to their original deal when they quote unquote walked it back today, um, or does you know like we're, we don't even really know what's going on, and no one's ever going to tell us uh, because it's that's just not how these things work. It's between Schneider and Connie's agent, and they're the only ones that really know. So, yeah, and we'll report anything we hear, um, but it's likely this is going to stretch out quite a ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so today's show is just going to basically be an NFC roundup, uh, NFC West roundup uh, after the draft. So we're going to incorporate the players everyone uh, uh, took in uh, in the last couple of weeks, including uh, some trades that happened to improve teams. Uh, where does Seattle stack up on some of these moves that uh, Arizona the Rams and the 49ers are, are making. Um, I think we'll start with, with the Cardinals. Uh, they're up on the uh, first on the list. Uh, they seem to be a team, Keith, uh, just, you know, from the outside looking in, uh, that has really done about as much as they could do this offseason to improve. Mm-hmm. They already had in the fold uh, their, their future franchise guy in Kyler Murray at quarterback. They still have uh, Fitzgerald. They got Kenyon Drake back. They're running back. I really like his upside. Patrick Peterson at corner. Uh, other pieces include uh, Christian Kirk, Chandler Jones, 
uh, Andy and Isabella, kind of a slot guy, a high upside guy, and Akeem Butler at wide receiver that uh, hurt his wrist last year and had to be on IR. So he hasn't even taken the field as a pro, but he had a really nice kind of height, weight, speed um, profile in last year's draft. Uh, Buda Baker, uh, they re-signed DJ Humphreys at tackle, their left tackle. Um, they had a mammoth trade, off-season trade, the biggest trade in the NFL this year, maybe in the last 10 years. Uh, traded for wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins from the Houston uh, Ball Club, and uh, they basically stole him. <laughs> uh, it gave Kyler Murray a, a really nice weapon to mm-hmm. go along with Fitzgerald and... Uh, Christian Kirk there, um, and they've got a couple other pieces as well. Um, they went out in free agency and got Jordan Phillips, the defensive tackle that gives them 31 tackles and nine and a half sacks last year, now is on their team. Uh, it was one of the shortcomings, um, I think, overall uh, with um, with the Cardinals last year was their defense. Their defense ranked 28th in points, 31st in passing yards allowed, 24th in rushing yards allowed, and the most yards overall in the NFL. Um, and you know, and they added a couple linebackers as well to that that'll that'll start. Um, and then you take a look at their draft, Keith. Um, Isaiah Simmons was a really good player, taken eighth overall in the draft. That kind of fell into their lap, kind of a jack of all trades kind of a player. Um, Josh Jones, the offensive tackle, I think they really lucked out and got him kind of at the back end of the third round. Uh, Lucky Fotu, the defensive tackle from Utah. Richard Lawrence, defensive tackle from uh, LSU. Evan Weaver, the linebacker from Cal that I really like. He was their team captain. The guy was extremely productive in college. I think he led all of college football in tackles in 2019. So overall... Man, I think that they they did a really nice job this offseason to to improve. They they let go of some players that weren't really giving them uh, help, and uh, I think overall they've probably gained at least three wins this year, if not four, if everything kind of comes together for them. But they they're going to have to depend on some of these newer players or players that haven't been in the program, especially in a year where COVID nineteen is really impacting offseason, being able to put in. Uh, the plays and put in the work together. Um, so you're depending on a team kind of coming together on the fly for them, but they do have a lot of potential. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that's definitely on the upswing. Um, anytime you bring in uh, arguably the best receiver in the NFL, or at least even if you don't agree with that, he's top three, uh, you're going to make your offense better. And they didn't lose their left tackle, which we kind of, everyone kind of at the beginning of this uh, was thinking that they were going to, but they were man- they managed to get Humphreys back, and then they added the, you know the key pieces on defense, being um, you know Jordan Phillips is there, um, uh, Devin Kennard came in, um, and who am I missing? Devondre Campbell. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, <clears throat> so their their front seven was genuinely terrible last year, and they recognized that, and they went out and. You know, spent their their top pick, you know, eighth overall, on a linebacker with a ton of speed, and he can play. Uh, he's going to be an outside linebacker in a three four style defense, um, 
which is perfect for him because mm-hmm. he'll be brushing the passer, he'll be setting the edge. They're just they're going to ask him to do a ton of things, and he's going drop back and coverage. Yeah, yep. and he's going to be able to do them. I think that's just a um, a great fit for them. And then they improve the people up front that are going to hopefully be able to uh, you know keep him clean. I still think they are talent wise across the board um, not a contender. Uh, most of their offensive line with the exception of Humphreys is substandard. Um, we love Hopkins. I like Christian Kirk. Um, Larry Fitzgerald might be my favorite non Seahawk of all time. Uh, but he's also 47 years old. Um, not really, (laughs) but he's a guy that everyone kind of expected to retire a couple of years ago. Um, still productive, but definitely not, you know, the same guy he used to be. This is this is like getting the Seattle Seahawks Jerry Rice instead of the San Francisco or o- or Oakland Jerry Rice, right? Um, he's just not kind of the same guy. And honestly, like there they had a talent at running back in uh David Johnson that they just they traded away and didn't really um do ever do much with and He's a good fit. Well, he was injured. I mean, he was injured the last couple of years. True, but he was the more talented back. I mean, there's a reason why they got Kenyon Drake for nothing, um, because he was a guy that had kind of washed out a little bit. And then they, so they got him because uh, Johnson got hurt and they needed something to help Kyler Murray out. And he played pretty well. So they re-signed him. It was great. But then they got rid of Johnson, who was the more, more talented player, uh, when healthy. And so... Uh, I don't, there's just a, there's a, there, I just don't know that he was as good as like $10 million a year, which is what they dumped in that, um, DeAndre Hopkins trade. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, everyone around the organization and being here in the desert, I kind of hear stuff all the time about it. It was, you know, it was one of those deals where they were just thankful that they were able to dump that trade or jump that contract because they, uh, regretted it after, shortly after signing him uh, to that big deal uh, because he was he got injured and then he was on injured reserve and then he got injured again and he always always nicked up always impacted his ability to get on the field. There was no question about his uh, on the field talent, uh, but he could never live up to that just because he wasn't available. You know, so uh, Kenyon Drake has, doesn't have any of that injury history and you know being available in the NFL is. 90 percent of the battle so yeah uh, like i said i for me I, I i look at the the offensive line i think that with the coaching staff that they've got and uh you know a guy who washed out in college uh and somehow got a promotion to the nfl which made no sense uh running the show and all of that and then you know they still have some holes look at safety um on defense and I see a team that is on the rise, getting better, and they need one more offseason, uh, one more good offseason to put it together. And this is all assuming that Kyler Murray mm-hmm. is the player that we think he is and the player he sure, certainly looked like he was going to be uh, last year. Especially the last four games of the year. Absolutely. Because he, yeah. he looked really good at the end of the year. And I don't know if people realize that because it kind of went under the radar because he was playing for a a terrible team but he played really well at the end of the year and uh i'm kind of excited to see what what they did yeah what they did is they um they started with the whole you know wildcat offense the run and shoot whatever you want to call it um and 
they were throwing the ball like 65, 70% of the time, at least. And, um, and the second half of the year, they made an adjustment and they, and they ran the ball a little bit more mm-hmm. and that was a little bit more of a balance. And that really, I think helped Kyler Murray settle in a little bit, uh, and allow them to sustain some drives and, um, and, uh, I would imagine we'll see more of that this year. It's, it'll be an interesting deal. I agree with you in the fact that they do have some talent. They do, uh, but a lot of their emerging talent is still young, hasn't had a chance to really solidify uh, into the roster very well. And they're probably a year away, especially on the depth. And you mentioned that right before we pushed record that you're a little bit concerned about, well, that you're not concerned, you're a Seahawks fan, but uh, <laughs> yeah. for this show's purposes, the concern would be uh, the depth overall with the team. They've got some big names, there's no question, and they're going to put up some points this year. Yes, and their are. defense has improved with the, with the players that they acquired. Everyone that they replace is better, including their draft picks. I mean, if you, can, if you add FOTU into a rotation, Rashard Lawrence is going to help you come in and, and at least rotate and give you a little bit of a push, which is what he did in college. Um, Evan Weaver's a linebacker they would probably develop. It's going to take a little bit of time, but he's probably going to make an impact on special teams. But Isaiah Simmons, nobody's going to deny that. The guy's going to make plays all over the field, I think. So um, I just think that they've improved on defense. So we'll see how it translates. This could be last year there were five wins plus a tie it could translate into an additional three or four wins. If you throw that tie into the win column, they could end up being nine wins and squeaking into the playoffs in the new playoff format. But I don't think that's likely. I'm just saying it could happen. Oh, absolutely. It could happen, especially with the new playoff format where an, an extra team get, uh, gets in compared to what we would seen in the past. And, and they're going to be one of those teams that might compete for that last spot. Um, a three. It's just so hard in the <laughs> NFC West. I think it's one of the best divisions. We'll go over that today. Winning a playoff spot out of this division as the third playoff team is not as likely as being a third team or, or second team in another NFC division that might be a little easy. Yeah, because there's no gimmies. Well, they're, we'll get to the Rams, but, uh, um, you know, playing (laughs) Seattle is not a gimme playing the 49ers is not a gimme. And honestly, right now playing the cards isn't going to be a gimme, especially if you play them early in the year. I think, uh, if you play them later in the year, it's going to be, it's better for your, if it's better to have the Cardinals later on the year, because, and it comes down to the depth, which is what you were talking about is every team has injuries throughout the year and they're going to lose players and whatever. And the drop-off in talent between their starters and their backups is pretty substantial. Uh, and Especially on the offensive line. They do not have any depth on the offensive line, nor in their secondary. Nor in their secondary, nor at running back, nor at tight end. Um, I mean, they're, they're gonna hurt, injuries are going to really hurt them. They are not as deep as uh especially the the 49ers who we're going to talk about today who are a much a much it's a much better built roster in terms of uh top to bottom uh talent but so if you're playing them later in the year it's there I, I think that's going to be a you know and an advent it's going to be advantageous to play them later in the year than early but they're still going to be good. I think they're going to be good. And I think eight wins, which is a three-win improvement, is not out of the question. I think nine wins is definitely a possibility. And nine wins is going to put you in the playoff hunt. And that's uh, 
that, that to me is a nice improvement for a team that was picking eighth overall in the draft. And picked number one overall the prior year. Mm-hmm. That's a great improvement. I mean, Steve Kime had done a really great job in roster building the last two years. So let's move into the uh, the City of Angels. So the cool thing, the best thing about the Rams this year is they get to play in a shiny new stadium if we get to play football. Uh, the SoFi Stadium is a $5 billion <laughs> endeavor that features the Oculus video board. Keith, this thing is mammoth. I looked at a picture of it this morning. It's like a complete oval that's 110 yards long. That'll be in this, you know, centered uh, way up high in, in the in the in the rafters. Um, but it has video boards all the way around, and it's like it, apparently this thing just totally makes the stadium. So everybody's raving about that. So it'll be kind of fun to see. But um, Sean McVay's Los Angeles Rams. Uh, they went ahead and made a big mis- mistake a couple years ago and paid Goff at quarterback, which kind of anchored them to a quarterback that was mediocre for years to come. That was the best possible news for the Seahawks. Uh, worst possible thing for them. Um, but but here they are, and here we are. Uh, they've got Jalen Ramsey at corner. Uh, they traded away their first-round pick this last year to get him in the fold, so they didn't pick until uh, 252 overall, and they took Cam Akers with that pick, which was awesome. I love that uh, pick. They still have got Aaron Donald, Cooper Cups there. They picked up Leonard Floyd at linebacker. This year, they got Brockers back. Daryl Henderson's going to probably carry some of that load along with Cam Akers this year. Um, they traded away Brandon Cooks, one of their wide receivers, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, um, was, and the most important thing, I think, with that, not only was he their best receiver, but they took uh, they took on, like, he's going to cost more against the cap to play for someone else than he would have had they kept him because of the way his contract was was structured, that he actually, like, they lost cap room by trading him away. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand why they did that, knowing that Cooper Cup came back one year off of an ACL. And then you've you've drafted Van Jefferson, 257 overall in the the draft from Florida. He's a good uh, route runner and stuff, but he's not proven in the NFL, so... The thing about uh, Brandon Cooks is I think he had like 40, 40 catches, uh, 600 yards, something like that. So that's production that they feel like they can probably get back from Jefferson. Well, I think part of it is that um, they they traded or they signed Robert Woods, who is an mm-hmm. underrated, underappreciated wide receiver. Um, you know, he played in Buffalo, which they haven't had quarterback play, but he's still been productive. Uh, with him, it's a matter of how how healthy is his ankle that's been a problem since college and uh when he's healthy he's very good and when he's um you know when he's not healthy he's not available so you can't really count on him for a lot of games cooper cup's been amazing out of eastern washington but again this is a guy who's missed significant time uh in Mm -hmm. both of his years so and they had a guy who was probably better than both of them that they traded away. And it just, unless there was some sort of locker room thing we don't know about to me, that right there, that trade um, told me that they were rebuilding because you don't take that kind of cap hit to get rid of a a super talented player. Unless you're like, okay, we're setting it up for a year from now. And that's the only thing that made sense 
in that room. Well, I think you're right. I mean, they made a few other, you know, questionable things like Leonard Floyd, a former first round pick in Chicago out of 2016, never really lived up to his billing as an outside linebacker, kind of a rush guy, never developed that pass rush, you know, so he's been good on the outside, stopping the run or whatever, but that's about it. Paid him a 1 million or excuse me, a $10 million fully guaranteed one year deal. Um, they also paid Andrew Whitworth $30 million on a three-year deal as a 42 or 43-year-old left tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, you're probably hoping that he stays healthy and that's going to work out for at least two years. I would imagine that's probably a two-year contract um, in reality. Sean Robinson, uh, another a really good run-stuffing defensive tackle, uh, a two-year $17 million deal um, to kind of plug up the middle. Other than that, I mean, they lost Todd Gurley. They gave up on Clay Matthews. They released those guys. They lost Dante Fowler in free agency to the Falcons. They lost Corey Littleton on a three-year $36 million deal to the Raiders. Um, Eric Weddle retired. And they really didn't do anything else in free agency at all. Mm-hmm. They're just... And and so then they went to the draft. They didn't have any first round picks. They had a pretty decent draft up through you know the four or five picks or so. They got Cam Akers, Van Jefferson, Terrell Lewis, that upside edge rusher guy from Alabama that was kind of injured all the time, but he's really long and athletic. If that turns out, that'll be a great pick. Terrell Burgess, uh, the safety out of Utah, Bryce uh, Hopkins or Bryson Hopkins, the tight end uh, from Purdue that you featured on a show a while back. Jordan Fuller's another safety, kind of a hybrid kind of safety, can play both free and strong safety. Um, other than that, I mean, they got a new defensive coordinator, which I thought was really weird this year. One of the weirdest moves on the team, they jettisoned Wade Phillips and went with a really young guy, a Brandon Staley, his first defensive coordinator job in the NFL, previously a, just a defensive assistant with Chicago and Denver, 37 years old. I watched... A, uh, just a YouTube video uh, interview with him uh, a few hours ago. And he just looks like a kid. I mean, he's, you know, everyone that's 30 something now to me looks like a kid. But, uh, <laughs> he just has these boys features and stuff. It's like, my goodness, he's a, he's a defensive coordinator in the NFL. It's crazy. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell else. you that Wade Phillips is one of the best defensive coordinators totally. ever. I mean, he is really good at his job. Now he, he, he wasn't great when he got promoted to head coach. In fact, he was not good at all. But uh, this is one of those situations where it's it's a different skill set to be a coordinator than be a head coach. And uh, his failures as a head coach doesn't make him a bad coordinator. He was really good at that. Um, but there was some talk last year that you know maybe with some of the new uh, offenses, especially Arizona's offense. Which you know they they were running the, the Mike Leach air raid because uh, Kingsbury is part of the Mike Leach coaching tree. Um, that maybe he like his his scheme and the way he did things was uh, losing its effectiveness, and the game was 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 you know progressing by him. I don't know if mm-hmm. I buy that. I think it had more to do with talent on the <laughs> on that defense, but. Uh, I can see that. But yeah, by going young. I mean, basically the Rams went really young when they went with Sean McVay. And It's funny that you said that, Keith, the, the scheme thing, because that's exactly what Sean McVay said. Um, now, granted, he's not he's going to protect his players. He's not going to talk about talent deficits, but he talked about um, getting a guy in that was uh, 
kind of more uh, schematically focused on um, facing the NFC West mm-hmm. um, rivals that they have that face uh, six games a year uh, against. And that was one of the criteria for selecting this guy. So. Yeah. I mean, and then you look at, at the teams and you've got three very different teams offensively. I mean, this totally very different. The, teams. the Seahawks, um, you know, have grounded out uh, on, on the ground, but then they have Wilson, who's the best deep thrower in uh, the NFL and they hit on those the shot plays all the time. Uh, you got the 49ers who have that kind of control uh, passing game, a lot of play action, a lot of bootleg, all of the uh, that part of stuff. And then you've got the air raid uh, down in Arizona. And so you you need a defensive coordinator that's going to be able to uh, adjust and make those moves and just be really flexible with the way that you do things in order to make it all work. And I think that was. I mean, you're you're getting a guy that's never done it, but you are by going young. They're they're trying to get someone with new energy and fresh ideas. Uh, he does have experience in uh, Denver when they were good, uh, when that when that defense uh, won him a Super Bowl, uh, and in Chicago where they've also had some good defenses. So, um, yeah, he's young, but we'll see. I, I think it it could be a, a a good move. It could also be. One that blows up in their face because Wade Phillips was still good at his job. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this, like you said up front on this particular segment, um, you mentioned that they're they're blowing it up and they're starting over, and this is part of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting a guy in that sees things fresh, you get in new players on on defense, but they're going to have to completely revamp at this point uh, the the defensive side of their roster. Um, and, you know, try to build again around Aaron Donald and so forth. Um, you know, after you let a guy like, uh, Fowler go, it's, it's understandable given their cap situation. Um, but that's, that's part of the deal is you're going to have to kind of infuse the roster with young players and we'll see how that goes. See how it goes. I just I think they're the bottom of the the barrel as far as the NFC West this year. They're still a decent team um, with a good coach, and you know they're they're going to be competitive. I just don't see them winning any more than seven games, especially out of this division. Well, and I just look at at the talent that left, and you you know it starts with with uh, Fowler, uh, who is their second most productive defensive lineman. Uh, behind Aaron Aaron Donald, uh, you look at um, Nicole Roby Coleman, who's a slot corner, mm-hmm. but me, you know, uh, one of the top five slot corners in the NFL uh, that left, and then you, you know they lost the right tackle, and they uh, their best wide receiver, and you know their best linebacker, and you can just go down the list. They sent their uh, and they're running back early. I mean, he was always injured, but he still produced uh, almost 900 yards and three, almost 250 yards in receptions last year. And um, on a bad year, yeah. And they also had uh, their uh, their kicker that's been all pro multiple times uh, leave in free agency as well. So without uh, Greg Zerline there, which you know his ability to hit that you know 58 yard field goal was always one of those things that kind of, it always felt like it was going to, if it didn't hurt the Seahawks, it it could have because since Seattle plays all these really close games and they'd get a stop. So where against most teams, they'd get the ball back, but against the Rams, they turned it into three points because, uh, you know, Zerline could hit those kicks from a mile away. So 
there's just a lot of talent leaving. I not a lot of talent coming back in. They didn't have a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Then they signed a couple of questionable deals. Um, I, I honestly, I'm looking at all of the moves and everything that went on, and I'm thinking they're going to go into next off season without. Um, you know, a lot of that dead money that they're dealing with this year is going to come off the books. They're going to go into the next off season with, with um, a reasonable amount of cap room, maybe enough that if they want to get out of the golf deal, they do. Uh, and they take some of the, the, the cap hit then, or they kick it out another year and, and, you know, just use next year to build stuff up. Right. But I, I think they're in a, they're, they're right. in a rebuilding situation, but it's hard to rebuild when you don't have draft picks. So and yeah. a franchise quarterback. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, their best case scenario would be seven wins, but they're, if they could end up getting four to six wins and having a top 10 pick, that would probably help them. They could even draft a future quarterback to replace Goff, you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're truly looking at a, 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 the, the issue of being in a, really bad spot and and a franchise can get this way by being a, you know, a six to seven, eight win team for years upon years. And that's where they find themselves if they don't redo their roster. Right. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. So um, interestingly, since we're, we're, we've looked at these two teams, the Vegas has the over under for Arizona at seven wins, which I think I'd take the over and they've for the Rams, they've actually got them at nine wins, which I think I would take the under. I would really like, I don't see how they get close to nine wins. This is a, a six win roster. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you place that bet? Can I do that online? Um, or do I have to be in person? I think nowadays you can you can post it online. Um, the state funny. of I'll have to look for the that. The state of Oregon actually has a um, an app where you can bet on those things. Uh, it's part of their lottery system now. But yeah, that I would take the under on the Rams yeah, if you if they're if they're still. I just don't I don't get it. I don't. That's that's one of those other things missed. Is there anything in the draft that they did that you like? Um, I don't hate their draft. I don't want to say that. Um, I mean, Cam Akers and Van Jefferson at the top. Van is okay. He wasn't my favorite wide receiver in the, in the draft class, obviously. Yeah. Terrell Lewis, I thought, could be an intriguing pick, especially mm-hmm. at 84 overall in the draft. At that point, he becomes a, a pretty decent value, even though he spent a considerable amount of time being injured in college. He does have tremendous upside. Um. Jordan Fuller is a little underrated at safety in that hybrid role at 6-2-2-0-2. Nice, long safety who's, who gives you some diversity from Ohio State in, in the back end of the sixth round. That's not a bad deal. No, that was actually a pretty good pick. Uh, very good value guy with a lot of... Um a lot of upside talent, probably not ready to play right away, but you know, they've got um, like Taylor. Rapp like Burgess even better and though. Bur- yeah. Well, yeah. Burgess to me is the future at strong safety and Fuller's probably the future at free safety is how they view it right now. Yep. Um, they've also got Taylor Rapp there. Uh, and so, you know, that's not a, not a bad way of, of doing it, you know, either. So they've got some talent there, but it's young and, uh, they're going to have a lot of growing pains at safety. I um, agree. I did like the you know Terrell Lewis pick at outside linebacker entirely because if you're building with an eye towards 2021, 
get him you can get a take a guy like that with a, with really high upside get him some playing time let him you know learn on the job is he'll be ready to make that big uh leap in year two so i think that's that was a pretty good pick and then of course cam Akers, i think is might be might have been my favorite uh running back in this draft class so uh you have i mean there, there are pieces there i don't I agree with you on Van Jefferson, and then you look at, um, you know, after that it's Bryson Hopkins, uh, tight end in the fourth round. I, I didn't love that pick. Um, I don't know. To me, it's it. They didn't have a first round pick. It was hard to uh, accumulate uh, draft capital when you don't, and it's hard to get you know those those high end impact players when you don't have a first round pick. And so um, I think they did okay. Not great, but okay. And I think they jettisoned a lot of talent in free agency without replacing them. And I think they take a big step back this year. So let's turn our attention to the team that uh, I think probably Seahawks fans have the most interested in outside of their own team in the division, which would be the San Francisco 49ers. Keith, why don't you take this and just kind of set them up as far as what they've what they are who they are what they what they did to to get better or stay even in this division after they went to the Super Bowl last year well so you you've been doing this well because you just have everything listed out I've kind of got more of a um more of a feel for uh like what it is rather than just a straight list but um the way I see it is you know they they, they were able to bring back uh Eric Armstead which was huge for them but they um, you know, they, they lost, uh, Matt Breida. They, uh, let's see if I can go through all of them here. Um, DeForest Buckner was the big one that they yeah, lost. Yeah. DeForest, but on the, on the defensive line, but they got that 13th pick overall though for that, which was actually a, a, a great, um, a great pickup. So I'm just looking at the people that they've left and, or they, they lost and, um, you know, Nick Mullins and, Ross Dooley and Ben Garland actually might be a, a pretty big loss. Dante Johnson uh, might end up being a big loss. Uh, Sean Coleman, good depth on the offensive line. Brunskill's on the offensive line. And Brita. I mean, that's, uh, you know, then you've got... Well, they lost uh, defensive tackle Sheldon Day. They lost Emmanuel Sanders uh, in free agency. Uh, wide receiver. Um, they lost uh, Joe Staley. Their left tackle, starting left tackle for a long time, retired. But if you take a look at the losses and you take a look at what they replaced them with, that's kind of the question. In fact, that's the question that we got on Twitter um, from uh, Milner12, his Twitter handle. It said, uh, the 49ers lost significant players in Buckner and Sanders and Staley. Did they replace them equally by trading for Williams, Trent Williams? We didn't mention that yet left tackle replacement for Staley um, and drafting Kinlaw and Ayuk in the draft. Uh, Ayuk to replace Sanders, Kinlaw to replace um, DeForest Buckner. What do you, what do you think overall about how equal you can judge those things? I think overall they, they replaced them, which is the hard thing to do in the NFL. Um, I agree. But they didn't replace them with equal talent. I think they got younger. They got cheaper at those positions because the salary cap means you can't afford to keep everybody. But they did manage to get 
uh, a quality player to replace them. It's just, in my opinion, not the same level of quality. Buckner is um, a premier um defensive lineman for, you know, that scheme and he's gone. And Kinlaw actually isn't as good of a scheme fit. He's more of a guy that's going to do better in a, um, in a run stuffing role. I I would have really liked him in a more of a three, four defense than the, than the defense, the 49ers run, which is similar to the defense, the Seahawks run. Um, I think they, they, they got rid of a great pass rusher and replaced him with a run stuffer. Uh, and I, that ultimately makes you not as good. And to lose, you know, Sheldon Day uh, in the middle of there, that was, Kinlaw is an upgrade over Day. But then if you do it that way, you say, well, then they didn't replace Buckner at all. And that would be a downgrade. Ayuk um, has the speed and the potential to be um, a nice wide receiver, but don't ever count on a rookie to replace a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, who's been uh, a Pro Bowl level guy I for uh, most of the last decade. And you know, Staley was good. I, Trent Williams is like you know one of the best ever, uh, but he's also r- really old. So they traded for him, and he's going to play, but he's going to be there for this year and, and, and maybe retire. Know, yep. And well, and he's, or he's going to ask for a new contract that they might not be able to afford. Mm-hmm. Um, because they've got to re-sign Kittle and a few other players, and they've got to have some priorities. So, you know, here's the way I look at that whole question is that I think they did the best that they could do, um, especially in a, after winning the Super Bowl. You're trying to hold your team together as best as you can in a cap situation, um, salary cap situation, not only looking at this year, but, you know, re-signing Kittle in the offseason or next year or whatever. Um, so they're trying to figure all this stuff out. You got Sherman, their, their secondary is probably their weakest link. Sherman's going to be 32. They haven't really done anything to address that position in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So that might be their weakest, weakest link is their secondary, even with Sherman there. Um, but for the key for the 49ers after the Super Bowl was to s- stay the same or get slightly better. Um, and after roster building for three years, John Lynch had salary cap compensation or uh, considerations this year that he hadn't really had to deal with before. And that's why they kind of had to let Buckner go. They had made a choice between Armstead and Buckner. What that choice came down to was, while we like Buckner better as a player, Armstead's more affordable and we can get a 13th overall pick in the draft for Buckner, so we're going to take it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Um, Which actually is is really good uh, roster building from a philosophical point. Um, you have a guy, rather than just let him walk and take a third-round pick and uh, a compensatory pick a year later, um, go ahead and trade him now and get the 13th overall pick and get his replacement now. And even though Kinlaw, who's a good player, don't uh, I'm not saying that he isn't, but even with him uh, as you know the replacement, I think they, they're not as good as they were with Buckner because Buckner was just that good um i think also you look at the, they well they tra- they they hold on hold on that wasn't the entire thing so uh they got kinlaw but they traded back from 13 to the 14th and got that extra fifth round pick and they traded that to get trent williams um to the washington um mm-hmm. to, to the redskins so for me i you, you gotta look at it as kind of the whole picture thing and i think you know if if you're being completely honest, you got to say that John Lynch did as good as he possibly could with 
with that with with what we just talked about that that roster building thing the the situation with Buckner and Armstead the situation with his left tackle announcing he was going to retire which didn't happen until late in the process um so they didn't even know he was going to really retire until you know 3 4 weeks before the draft um and then um trying to build all of that and 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 then swinging for Trent Williams for a fifth round pick to me I thought was you know icing on the cake for you know at, during the draft was was pretty remarkable yeah because they were what what they did there is okay they lost Staley they need to replace them so they went and traded for Williams um Williams is good I don't want to I'm I want to make sure that anything that I say that's negative um people don't misconstrue this is a very good player um, a Pro Bowl level player. Uh, he's also had injury problems and just he was suspended for four games, um, you know, back in, I guess it was um, back in December 2011. He was suspended for uh, four games again in uh, 2016. I mean, he's got, there. there's some history there, right? And he is going to need to be mm-hmm. paid a year from now. So they were able to swing a fifth round pick for a guy with considerable talent. It, this is a rental. They're going to they're getting a guy so they can they believe that they have a window to win, and they needed to extend that window. And losing Staley was going to close that window slightly. And so they went and got Williams. It kept the window open. Uh, I like it. I just also recognize that as far as long term building goes. This isn't a move that helps them in long term. It's a move that helps them right now, and that's it. I totally agree with that analysis. I mean, that's actually really insightful and um, spot on. Um, so you're not for supposed me, to agree with me, Bill. Well, that's, what that's I was going to say works. though, I, that's not how I this works. You're supposed to, you're supposed to you're supposed to hate everything I say. Isn't that how <laughs> it's supposed to be? I'll try. How about next week? We'll have the opposites uh, podcast. Everything you say, I'll just completely trash. Um, For for me, I think San Francisco did as as good of a job as they could do as a franchise to maintain the the level that they had, considering that most um, most rosters, you know, are going to change twenty five to thirty percent every given year. Um, so when you take a look at that and you, you have enough talent to go to the Super Bowl one year, it's very difficult. I mean, you saw Seattle do it in 13 and 14, how difficult that is to get there a to, and B to return uh, one year after is just incredibly difficult in a salary capped, um, season. And so I think they probably put themselves in the best position that they could in order to try to get back. Now, what does that mean for Seattle and San Francisco and the rivalry? And where do, where does that leave San Francisco as far as their record um, and trying to take the division again and stuff? You know, uh, you take a look at the, the Cardinals in the division, probably improved three or four games. One of those games could come against the 49ers. Uh, you take a look at Seattle, and 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 we can talk about Seattle and, and what they do and how they stand and so forth. I don't think we've necessarily gotten worse doesn't necessarily mean we've gotten better overall as a team because I think maybe we're one player short and we all know who that is and what that represents. Um, I still think Seattle is in a position to give uh, San Francisco issues and problems. 
um, and could take a game. So for me, Seattle and San Francisco were really close. And um, I'm not quite ready to completely say where Seattle's at because I think it's an incomplete story so far. Uh, but but for me, San Francisco is probably not going to get to 13 wins uh, this year. Is probably looking to me at like 11 or 12. And see, and that's where Vegas has them is at 11 and a half. Um, and to me, I'll, you know, yes, they had, it was 13 wins last year. This year is going to be a much harder road for them uh, in terms of uh, their schedule. And I see you know, them coming back down to earth a little bit because of the stuff we've already talked about. Not, um, not a lot because I, they, they did replace the players. It's not like, um, you know, when, when the Seahawks basically had to cut Chris Clemens and, um, couldn't replace him. Uh, and, you know, that was just a loss, right? That was just someone that they, that they were no longer had on the roster or a couple of years ago when it was Cliff Averill or, or, uh, that kind of stuff. There, there wasn't that replacement coming in. It was like, okay, now we need the next guy to step up, and it wasn't as good. Um, and so they didn't. They're not. They're not in that situation. They were actually able to go get Ken Law to replace Buckner. They were able to go get Ayuk to replace Sanders. And so I think they're going. To, yes, they're going to come down a little bit, but it's not a huge drop. And so they're going to be there. Uh, Eleven and a half wins with a tougher, a tougher schedule and no off season and all of that. I'm like, I think I would take the under, but man, I don't like that bet. I don't like it yeah. at all. Um, well, and you take a look at Brandon Ayuk too. I mean, you talk about replacing Sanders. Sanders had a pretty decent season last year, but it wasn't as great as I think everybody thinks it was. I mean, he had a good game against Seattle, uh, but for the most part, uh, he was fairly well contained last year. I think Brendan and I it gives you some serious upside out of that spot that they haven't had before. A playmaker, a guy that's dynamic, a guy that can uh, quote unquote tilt the field for you, uh, make plays and, and hit a home run from anywhere on the field. That's that guy. Plus helps you in the return game as well. So um, they may have gotten better a little bit there, but you're still dealing with the guy in Garoppolo. I got a question for you, Keith. Uh, Albert Breer this week uh, reported that Tom Brady actually wanted to play for the 49ers as his first choice in free agency. And the 49ers took that seriously and actually had a three-day meeting um, between Lynch and their head coach and Garoppolo even and decided to stick with Garoppolo and passed on Tom Brady which is, I thought, is just an interesting antidote. Well, I mean, the fact that they were uh, willing to put that much time and energy to think about, um, you know, looking at a 40, what is he, a 42 or a 43-year-old quarterback who last year looked like, um, you know, looked very pedestrian. Uh, Last year was not not Tom Brady uh, being Tom Brady anymore. And... uh, so, I mean, he, his, Tom Brady's, uh, numbers and Andy Dalton's numbers are similar, which will give you an idea of, we don't think of Tom Brady as, as that, but ages started to deteriorate his play and they were willing to think about and put that much thought and belief into paying Brady 
But to me, that says they don't have a huge, um, like they were willing to, like when they, when I, when the part that I heard about it was that, you know, they were looking at possibly trading Garoppolo back to New England. Uh, wow. In order, you know, in order to all make all of this work. And the fact that they were willing to, to entertain this and they actually went through some of the process and they talked numbers and, and all of that, they're not, they, they can't be sold that sold on Garoppolo. And if you go and you actually look at his numbers and break down his play and you, you hide the wins, which are a team stat, not a quarterback stat. Uh, and you look at just his uh, contribution and especially how he played in the Super Bowl, and you go, he's a good quarterback, but he isn't a franchise quarterback. He isn't a Russell Wilson or he's more of a Kirk Cousins. Yeah, he's he's not a guy like um, you know that that's going to go out and and win games that you deserve to lose because everyone else has been is just not playing well. And then your quarterback goes out and wins a game. I mean, how many times have we seen Russell Wilson do that where the team is just off? No one's like, it's just a terrible game. And then William or uh, Wilson pulls some sort of, you know, magic and uh, at the end of the game and and they get a win that we were like, yeah, they didn't really that. They kind of didn't deserve that one, but they got it anyway. Uh, (laughs) So Russell Wilson has two nicknames out there in the NFL in different fandoms. One is the Hobbit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the other one is the magician. And uh, you're right. He's he's definitely a magician. So where does that where does that leave uh Seattle in all of this? Um well, if we kind of round out our conversation and turn it back uh back home to, uh, back to the Seahawks, what have what has Seattle done that sets us apart or makes us better relative to our division rivals? Well, what they did this year was by going out and getting Dunbar to replace, uh, you know, flowers uh, on the back end with at cornerback is, is a a big upgrade. The fact that they're going to have digs all year rather than for five games is going to be a major upgrade. Um, They went from having clowny and no one on the defensive line for a pass rush to now they've got four guys that they like rushing off the edge. Now, none of them are clowny-like uh, talent, but you have four guys instead of one. And so you're looking at uh, a more, just a better depth and the ability to rotate guys and get pressure and, and do that kind of stuff. Um, they went and they got more dynamic and better at linebacker. Uh, notice I'm only talking about the defense here because that was the weak link and they went through at all three levels and tried to get better. Now, I think they still need to go bring Connie back. So you pair Clowney, who was the, the best player on that defensive line last year with the new guys. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is going to be great, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, they, I think they, you know, we can debate whether they, the strategy they've done is right or not. Um, forever because i'm sure there's lots of disagreement but uh they they rather than having one guy now they've got four that are going to be rushing off the edge and successfully rushing off the edge and that's a that's a big improvement and then on the offense right you you upgraded from you know at your third or fourth wide receiver wherever you stick um door set at and you know you get you 
you give yourself another running back to to kind of throw into the mix, and then you completely overhaul the weakness of the offense, which has been for years the offensive line. And uh, you know they went basically they knew the offensive line was bad, and continuity is great, and yes, it does help, um, but being continuously bad and bringing all the bad back isn't doesn't make you better and so they went ahead and said okay forget that we're going to go um uh go out and actually make wholesale changes and they let a fetty go which was great and they let fluker go and replaced him with uh fluker jr um in the draft who has all the same talents and traits except for the injury history um, and they upgraded at center uh, by, you know, there. And so then it's a matter of, okay, does Lupati hold on to his job at left guard or does Hayes? Um, Pete Carroll said that, that um, Phil Hayes is going to be the guy that uh, pushes him and is going to be given a shot to to start there. And, and can he realize that the potential that was obvious uh, both in the draft and, and uh, at times last year? So it they went from having a bad offensive line to an offensive line that potentially could be very good. Yeah. Uh, and this the, was the most worrisome thing though the, for me. The downside of the offensive line is that it can't be worse. Well, okay. Um, I agree with all your points, but I, I will point out too that um, creating a, an offensive line that has three or four new faces on it on the first snap of the first game is going to be exceedingly difficult because of the way that the off season is going to progress. Um, so that would be challenge number one. I don't agree. I disagree though, that, uh, changes needed to be made. I was surprised that we're going to end up having three to four new starters. Um, I thought it would end up being one early in this process. And it turns out it's at least three and possibly four if Haynes can, uh, flip, um, Ayupati uh, out of there. So, uh, you know, you mentioned a bunch of guys that have kind of come on and, and made a made a difference. Um, when I was going through this process and making my list of key players for each team, and then I was going through free agency and adding the additions, and then I looked at the draft, I think, honestly, Seattle has done every bit as good as Arizona has on roster building this year and definitely better than uh, San Francisco in improving what we had. I mean, if you take a look at departures, which is, I think one of the keys to this conversation, Ansa is gone. Uh, Jerron yeah. Brown is gone. I was say, yeah, Ansa is gone. Big name gave us nothing. Kendrick's, Kendricks is gone, and he led the league in missed tackles for a considerable portion of the of the year last year. He's a big name, and you think of him as being very good, but he actually performed very poorly uh, on the defense overall. And to have Jordan Brooks come in and upgrade that spot immediately or switch to K.J. Wright and, and have Brooks be the weak side guy, that's an upgrade to me. Um, Ansa, you, you take Ansa out of there, very poor for performing and you either give Taylor Taylor or Robinson or have both those guys in a rotation in that place. That's an upgrade to me. Those guys are high upside guys. Even if they're learning this year, they're going to be surrounded by pros. I think they've got a good chance to contribute at least as much as Ansa contributed last year, right? But Ansa contributed nothing. And nothing. so getting you get Taylor in there to replace Ansa and 
honestly, yeah, he's going to make mistakes and he's probably going to be invisible at times because, you know, he's still learning and, and he needs a, a counter move and blah, blah, blah. Anything that he does, any contributions going to be more than what they got from Ansa. So that's a, that's an upgrade. You, you, and people yeah. don't realize that They're like, oh yeah, but he's unproven. We don't know. Yes. But we do know he will give you something. It may not be. It may not That's be a right. ton. Right. But it and, will. And be we're probably something. not done yet. And we have uh, Irvin and Mayoa. Yes, who are veterans. Know, who are veterans, so right? And Rasheem Green's going to be over there. The biggest question is: Does Collier come up and and offer you a, a more uh, substantial contribution this year? And one could definitely argue yes. <laughs> Just by the nature of the way things typically it work in hard, the NFL, it would be hard for him to to, to give less. As Correct. Well, so then he you gets cut. You added uh, Greg Olson at tight end, who's going to give you, you know, probably at least forty catches and five hundred yards, and you know, a handful of touchdowns. I think that's a nice little uh, infusion um, in the tight end group. Um, Metcalf's got another year under his belt because we know, like we oh said earlier in the show, rookie r- wide receivers typically struggle. They don't contribute the way uh, other players do, even if the other players are less talented. Yeah. And the fact that he was able to contribute as much as he did was a shock. Um, and now, now you give him, now he's not a rookie receiver. Now he's got uh, that year under his belt. He's got the offseason of knowing what he needed to work on and all of that kind of stuff. I expect him to just explode this year. Well, and, that, and we added uh, we added DJ Dallas at, at running back who takes over kind of for that CJ Procise thing. Homer's there, but I have the feeling that Dallas and Homer are going to compete for uh, at least receiving the ball out of the backfield snaps. And you talked about the offensive line, and everyone and everything points towards our offensive line being better pass blocker uh, overall as a group this year, which will give Medcalf a little bit more time to get into his routes, um, all that kind of stuff. So to me, I mean, the offense, as efficient as it was, gets a little more efficient this year, especially if we can find if either Dallas comes in and takes – over for Penny as the second running back. And that's fine. I'm okay with that as long as he can do it. We just don't know yet. Or you get that veteran guy like Lynch to come in or somebody else that can stabilize that. I think that completes the offense. You'd have to do no more to the offense. That's It's done. It's the defensive side of the ball. What are we going to do with Clowney? Are we going to just punt Clowney and go get Griffin and call that position solid and good? Or do we spend that money maybe on a defensive tackle instead and depend on Collier to develop, give that job to Rasheem Green, and maybe have more of an inside penetrating push this year um, from like a, a Harrison or you know somebody else that's still out there? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But all I know is like Quentin Dunbar back there and um, with Diggs and with Griffin, and then you add Flowers into kind of a, a big nickel role. Um, or, you know, mix those guys up any way you want. Blair could come out and be a, a great second-year pro now that he's more comfortable with the playbook. Um, yeah, I, I think there's some upside. Like, the team, I don't see the team being any worse than 11, and there's a lot of pundits out there. I'm seeing a lot of services out there rank the Seahawks, like in the, like around the 15 area as far as... Um, uh, strength 
uh, league-wide. And then in our own division, there are a few uh, publications out there that have put Arizona in front of the Seahawks um, as being the, the media darlings, quote-unquote, early, early media darlings in the division uh, to kind of compete with the 49ers, which I think is, is kind of crazy this year. Maybe next year, but not this year. Yeah, and, so. and but I I mean the Arizona is definitely improved. They are they've gone from being the basement of the division to being a contender. They are gonna be there, I believe, eight or nine wins in the hunt for a playoff that, that last playoff spot. Um, you know, the seven seed. I, I honestly think they're gonna be there. Now, do they make it in or not? Yeah, we'll see. It, but who else is involved? But it's they're gonna be close. And I I'm I agree they are improved. But I don't agree that the Seahawks have dropped off uh, from 11 wins with the second toughest schedule in the NFL to an eight-win team. They're going to say this team is three Does Seattle see a drop-off if it doesn't sign Clowney? Like if it doesn't sign if it doesn't do anything else, if it goes into the season as constructed, um, are we are we better? Are we equal? Are we worse off uh, with We're, Clowney or without we're better because the offense is better. We're better because the secondary and linebacking core are better. Um, the defensive line. And we've line, spread the, we've spread the pass rush around. Yeah. So rather the, the defensive line, instead of it uh, being really, you know, before the pass rush dependent on clowny and then, um, you know, hoping some random person steps up and, and uh, has a big game, even though none of them ever did. Um, <laughs> you know now now you've got four different guys that can come off the edge and and generate a pass rush so you you've spread it around are any of them going to be dominant the way connie was no i don't believe so not this year uh but instead of having one guy you've got four and especially when Clowney got hurt and they had to play without him and they just had to find ways to generate defense when you have no pass rush and now you've got four guys so if uh, Irvin gets hurt, and I, and you've only got three instead of four. You still got guys that can get pressure on a quarterback. So let me ask you this: um, I know that we're down like Quentin Jefferson. He gave us a little bit, um, but how important is a guy like Jaron Reed in this whole situation? We barely talk about him, but here's a guy last year that really fell off a little bit, missed mm-hmm. the first six games of the season on suspension. He's back in the fold full time this year. Is he one of the, like the key pieces to making this whole thing work? If we're really being honest about it, I mean, do we need him to come back and at least give us maybe seven sacks or at least get the pressure pressure percentage up there um, back to where it was before, so that we have something in the middle to take the the pressure off the edges? Well, if you're looking, do, does the team need that? Yes, because they need that pressure up the middle. Um, and so there is. There's nobody like, else that's going to give us that pressure that we have currently on the roster. Agree. Oh, well, unless um, Rasheem Green, they're they're talking about moving him into the three tech and letting him uh, do that. And I think he is built uh, physically and his game to do that well. Um, he's not going to hold up against the run as a defensive tackle, but against the pass, I think he can he can do that. Um, but the, he's going to be the rotational guy that that comes in. So uh, or Collier. Yeah, same same idea. Um, I'm just not counting on Collier at the moment. Um, but you know, when you have Reed's not going to play 100 percent of the snaps. He's going to play 62 percent of the snaps or whatever it is. You need someone who can rotate in with him, and then I think that's going to be Rasheem Green. Um, 
So does the team need that? Yes. But we also have to remember he gave the team very little last year. Greed did not play well. He did not generate a push. He did not generate a pass rush. He really struggled to do the things he did great the year before. And uh, what do we get out of him this year? If we get the same thing we got out of him last year, I think that's certainly not ideal, but it doesn't make them worse. If they get um, if they get more closer to what they got out of him in, in, in 2018, that makes them much better because he was a dominant player in 2018. So, so are you saying that we're still at 11 wins without Clowney, Keith? I want to say, yeah, I think this, so if I think we, that's where they're at. If we get Clowney or if we make a trade, say it's a Judon or a Yannick, does that all of a sudden propel Seattle into contention for the Super Bowl and winning the NFC West? Yes. Um, I think they are there. If the, if the, why wouldn't they do it? Why wouldn't they do it at any cost? If it's, if that window is so wide open that one move, if you and I are talking about one move away and John Schneider's looking at the exact same stuff we are, and he has way better insight than we do. Wouldn't you go out and do whatever it took to get the player in that you knew could tip the scales so much into your favor, you all of a sudden become a Super Bowl favorite. Wouldn't you make that move every single time? Uh, they've done that in the past, and they've been burned on it over and over again. Because that was Percy Harvin, and that was Jimmy Graham, and you know what I mean? Sheldon like, so, Richardson. Yeah. So they, 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 they've done those trades, and it hasn't worked out. And so I think at this point, um, they are going, okay, we can, we know we can win 11 wins or somewhere around there with the roster as it is now. And that'll get us into the playoffs. And then we'll see what happens once we get there, because we know with Wilson, you got a chance to win any game you're in. Um, is that good enough when you have Wilson? I think, I mean, there's, there's definitely, I mean, they're giving their team a chance every, every year. Most franchises can't say that. But yeah. is that enough um, when your window is so wide open that you didn't you just didn't make that one final move? But here's the thing is if you make that final move now, right? Let's say they, they go and they say, okay, fine, we're just we're gonna sign Clowney, we're gonna bring him in, we're gonna pay him all that money. And then next year you can't make a move and you can't keep the roster. You can't improve the roster. It, it takes a step back because that was one of the things that happened in, in 2014. Did we get Clowney? Did we go to the Super Bowl? If you, if the answer was yes, we went to the Super Bowl, then it's worth it. You gave your team a chance to get a Super Bowl win. Maybe we went to the dance and we didn't make it or whatever, but you got to always take that chance, don't you? But here's but here's the thing is, is what they view it is there's a chance now. Now, Clowney makes the chance. Uh, it's a higher chance, but it's still a chance. So, you know, if you, if, if they sign him and there are odds of getting to the Super Bowl go from, you know, 12% to uh, 18 or 20%, that's, is it worth making it so that uh, way the 2021 season they drop instead of being at 12 or 13%? Now they're drop, drop, drop down to 8 uh, because they made the deal now. That's I mean, a that, tough that's a question. Th- that's a tough. That's that's a um, philosophical question in a sense about 
how you build a roster and how you sustain success over a long period of time. You just kind of hit upon the Pete Carroll, John Schneider way in mm-hmm. that they want to give their team the, the chance to be in the dance every year. Even if it's a 10% chance, that's still a team that's good on paper, makes the playoffs, might be an out, but they're in the playoffs and they've given themselves a chance to get to the Super Bowl. If you can go from 10 or 12%, though, to 18, that's a pretty decent swing um, at the fences. It is, but you go from having, uh, if you think of it the other way, that goes from an 88% of not making it to an 82% chance of not making it. And you've just hamstrung your team next year for that change in odds. And we've seen um, what that looks like. Sheldon Robinson trade, the Percy Harbin thing, even the yeah. clowny thing last year, you know, was a swing to yeah. try to get somewhere. And they didn't, and not like the clowny one, you could say like none of those, those um, panned out because even the clowny one, he missed a bunch of time. He wasn't as effective later in the year because of his core injury. I mean, he did tough it out. And the one there, unlikely one that all of those we just talked about was the Percy Harvin one actually got him into the Super Bowl. You know, yeah, he, he didn't he, directly he affect one, it. Yeah, he didn't he played directly in affect one it. game against right. Minnesota uh, during the year, didn't play the rest of the season, didn't play anywhere in the playoffs, played in the Super Bowl and had that, uh, that kick return to open the second half that really just was like, if N- there was any, it. Ho- right. it was, yeah, it was basically any hope that Denver had of coming back and, you know, putting together some sort of, of, of rally died right at that moment. Um, but that was his contribution. His contribution was like three catches in one game and a, or and a kick return in the Super Bowl. Um, was that worth all the draft well, certainly not. For him? No, certainly not in retrospect. But could they have, would they have won the Super Bowl without? But Percy you could Harvin? also argue. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> but you could argue that that was totally worth it. Just that one play. Just to know that you've completely um, creamed an opponent, and that was before halftime. And then at halftime, they make all the adjustments, and they're ready to come out and fight. And you kicked them in the teeth on the very first play and put it out of reach. That was worth it to me, right there. That was worth it, Keith. Well, and that I'm not going to say otherwise. We got they got a they got a Super Bowl championship out of it, so that is yes. what it is. But would they have would they have beaten Denver that day if Percy Harvin hadn't played? But it would it have been as satisfying <laughs> because <laughs> if, that if win was amazing, and the way that they was. did it was amazing. If if but we're getting if off Percy track. Har- if Percy Harvin <laughs> hadn't played that game, the Seahawks win that game anyway. Yes. Um and the next year in 2014, when they went and were you know a yard away, I think they win that game because they have all the extra draft capital. They would have had um, they would have been able to better replace the talent that they lost. And it, yeah. they would have been they would have been better uh, there. And going there's sometimes there's just so, a, you know there's there's the human nature aspect of this where it's just satisfying to as a fan, not counting all of the ramifications with the cap and the roster and stuff, but as a fan of acquiring a player that you know is so good at their position that is kind of going to come in and immediately impact in favor of your team. 
the, uh, the 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 final outcome of the season or or win loss records or impact games against your you know your rival in the division there's mm-hmm. just something about acquiring that player that is deeply satisfying that you you go into this win now mode and part, that's part of the fun of being a fan and so i get i get how people can get wrapped up into that and you describe a situation that is more pragmatic the team, you know, needs to take a look at these things and certainly do. And, and obviously they, they weigh heavily on these decisions, but I'm just arguing in terms of as a fan, I so want them to make that one next move to get them in a spot where it feels like it's 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm behind you with all of that. To me, what I don't want to see them do is trade away a couple of first-round picks for Yannick or Judon um, and completely hamstring the team in the future unless they get that player signed. And if you're going to trade away that pick and pay them big money, you could do the same yep. thing with Clowney right now just, just and, and just pay him. And so... Uh, to me, I would rather just pay, then pay Clowney, get him in there. Well, listen, here's the deal or... with Clowney, Keith. The team has made a, a contract offer th- through free agency, which is a free market system. And their offer has been the best offer near as anyone can tell so far. And why would they go out and make a higher offer and bid against themselves for a player that they can just be patient with? Well... That doesn't I mean, seem like great business sense either. It doesn't, but what happens when another team steps up and goes, "You know what? We are we don't we're not happy with the way our roster looks right now. We're, we'll we'll meet your contract demands, or we'll give you at least closer to your contract demands than Seattle." We'll beat it by one point five million dollars. There's always a cutoff. There's always a point in which you have to cut off negotiation. Yeah, and. Uh, Basically, what so would you pay him like eighteen million dollars a year? I mean, you were willing to pay him eighteen million, and that the the first of of March, now two months later, we're not willing to pay him eighteen million anymore. I'm willing to pay him eighteen million. You give him an uh, an eighteen million dollar a year over three years, I'd do it. I'd do it in an instant. Um, And the difference is, is that you know at the time he was asking for like twenty three, and no one was going to give him that. And his 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 desire, you know, what he was asking for came down to like twenty one, and you're like, okay, well now we're now we're separated by three million dollars, um, and as a team, you can be like, okay, that's still too much, or you can be like, okay, so what's the trade off? If we come up to one up to twenty one, then we have to cut um, David Moore, or we have to cut. Uh, Brandon Jackson or, or Hollister. Yeah, or Hollister. You know what I mean? Like, is, is it worth it? Is it worth losing well, that other player to in, in order to yeah. in order to overpay? So here's here's the problem. Here's the deal, and it reminds me of the Cam Chancellor situation. To be completely honest, here's a guy that had in 2016 microfracture surgery on his knees. 
he had hip surgery or core core issues. He's had hip issues in the past, ankle issues. So he's had a history of, of issues and, um, and, and is getting older and you're, you're going to pay him, you know, over say four years or whatever, a, a substantial amount with a lot guaranteed that can hamstring your, uh, your franchise, just like the cam chancellor contract hamstrung us for a while because of injury. So if he gets injured, you don't get any return on that money. That's a bad investment. And, and you never know who's going to turn that, who's how that's going to turn out until it actually happens. And so it could turn out bad and, and it could cost John Schneider his job. I mean, those sorts of things are difficult to swallow as a franchise. No, it wouldn't cost John Schneider his job. He survived, you know, Percy Harvin and all of those, uh, because the team keeps winning. As long as the team keeps winning, he can swing and miss at times. So I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be this slightly concerned about any of, of him losing his job or anything like that. Um, but I mean, I, I do get what you're saying is the team values the upper end of his value at 18 million and they're not going to go above that. And to me, I look at it and I go where the roster is. I would be willing to lose the depth of a guy like um, Brandon Jackson in order to sign uh, Clowney. It's it's Brandon Jackson's not going to make the roster anyway right now with the four the four defensive ends they they've added recently. So do it. But if you're going to do it, you are taking that risk because you are saying. Sure, we're going to do it right, and and it it works to lose that one player this year. But what does it look like next year? Well, what, what does it look, look like, like the year after that? With a guy like or with COVID nineteen impacting revenue in uh, league wide, not just for the Seahawks, but league wide, and then uh, so next year, say the salary cap goes down by ten twenty million dollars. Not only are you looking at a guy like Brandon Jackson or Hollister or some the, other low level. The, guy, the, but you could be looking at a substantial loss. The salary cap won't go down. The TV contracts are, they've been signed in blood. Um, those won't change. Now, so the, the revenue, and that's, the, 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 the ticket revenue and the, and the stuff from the games is nothing. It's, it's literally nothing um, to, the, to the league. All of the salary cap, all of the revenue, everything comes from the TV contracts. And those will not change. Those will be, whether... You know, even if they don't play any games in in 2020, and that's an entire other show. Come 2021, the salary cap will be what it is, um, entirely based on the TV contracts that are already in place. So, yeah, we should probably have that other show. Yeah, let's do that. We we should. We haven't been talking about bad stuff. You know, we've kind of avoided it. We're kind of an optimistic podcast, if you haven't noticed, after 170 episodes. Uh, but uh, there's some different things that we could talk about that could impact this next season. So uh, maybe we should create a show for that. Um, I think we're done. We, we pretty we much we rounded up the NFC West. I think Seattle is, you know, I think we made a good argument that Seattle got better. 
or at the very worst, without Clowney, stayed the same. With Clowney or with another player, uh, impact player on the edge, we could even tip the scales even further. I think we're right there with San Francisco. San Francisco is going to have a hard time getting back to exactly where they were before, even um, with adding uh, some some nice talent. It's exceedingly difficult to win uh, and get back to the Super Bowl and stay um, exactly where you were before. Uh, and plus, they they had a pretty decent. Uh, injury um, year last year uh, with lack thereof, and uh, the Seahawks really suffered through that. So we'll see, see how it goes. I will say, I will say this: the Forty ers um, are in good hands because John Lynch, as strange and weird and just unexpected as that hire was, has done a great job of turning what was a terrible roster into a very good roster. I think they need a quarterback. But, um, you know, they may they may disagree. That's but, their worst move in yeah. the last three years is Garoppolo, and he's not a he's not bad. He's just kind he's of not a, a placeholder quarterback. <clears throat> yeah, and um, the fact that they lost a bunch of talent uh, in an off season where they're coming off a Super Bowl, and it just happens. You come off a Super Bowl, you got you you end up losing a bunch of really talented players, and they replaced them. They were able to get Kinlaw and Ayuk and um, and do that. Like I think he's done a fantastic job. I really do. And uh, it's fun to have the 49ers be good because the NFC West is more fun when Seattle and San Francisco are both good. And, I agree. Um, and I know there are fans out there that would, would prefer if uh, the Seahawks basically were like the Patriots and they played in the worst division in football and had that free ride to the playoffs every year. Um, but I'm not one of them. I want drama. I want uh, them to have to fight to get in. I want them to have those games be super meaningful. They're more, it's just way more fun. Yeah, and in the I end, agree. it's all about my entertainment value and your entertainment value. <laughs> and it's more, it's more entertaining when it's a, you know, when they're fighting and it's and it, it's just a, a big struggle. So um, I'm happy. Yeah, when you have to go through the best, when you have to go through the best, you're confident once you get to the dance that you can play against anybody, and that's mm-hmm. that's the key. So all right, we're out of here this week. Find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all the shows and the website. You can go visit. You can learn about us. Learn about the show. And you can subscribe to your uh, favorite podcast app and get uh, get the show in your feed every week and not miss a single episode. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week and go Hawks.